Welcome to the show. You can watch and subscribe to the Project FIA TV show on YouTube. Drop comments and questions to us on the podcast via Twitter. Our handle is Project FIA. And now sit back, relax, and enjoy. This is Project FIA Goes PC. Hello, everyone. This is FI Goes PC. This is episode 118. 118 if you prefer and as always i'm your host rebels and ak danny how it's been a while basically delayed because uh when one night she uh she went out she she went outside to uh pat a squirrel on the head and then she disappeared vanished magic Whew, gone and then i get this uh this note this ransom note um basically a few days later i, I wasn't paying much attention I was playing ping pong uh, with myself um, and all the voices in my head. And uh, this letter came uh, through through the mail, um, which is delivered here by pigeons. And I read the letter, opened it up, and I was like, oh, interesting. All of these letters don't correline. They are all different fonts and size and shapes. Size and shapes, if you're Sean Connery. That was a Sean Connery thing. Um you know, and uh, it turns out that she's uh, back in Asia, uh, hostage situation, uh, ransom, uh, load of numbers. So, of course, I did what anyone who would uh, respect their producer as much as I would do in this circumstance. I turned it into a paper airplane and threw it out the window, and uh, yeah, that's that. So I presume that she's in Asia, and she will be for a while. Uh, when I get any more uh you know notes to the door updates whatever i'll be able to tell uh if she's coming back i don't know here's what it is i presume she's safe hopefully fingers crossed yeah producers get kidnapped all the time it's just a it's an industry staple it's uh it's a thing that happens a lot so i'm here on my own for the first time in four years last time i was on my own was january i believe 2018 it's episode 30 here on the old uh, FI list. And of course, that means I'm unfiltered. That means that there is no one here to stop me and what I say and what I talk about. Isn't that amazing? So obviously, you can imagine I've been building up to this. There's a lot of things I want to say. Um, and, you know, you, you just got to listen to them. There's no one to censor me, folks. So, yeah, should be exciting, right? I will go back to doing as much as I can the week by week. Um, we've had, like I said, a lot of delays. It's always an issue, uh, an initial problem when you've lost your producer, uh, disappeared, uh, like she did. Um, so yeah, so I've been trying to get back to life, you know, doing everything on your own, cleaning things, uh, just anything really, just cleaning whatever, go outside with a bunch of soapy water and clean all the grass. Because uh, I'm bored and I've got nothing else to do. And as this is a forest, it takes a while. So that explains, I think, very um, convincingly, the gaps of time. Uh, we were going to fit a podcast in before the kidnapping. But that was about the time she was like, yeah, I'm just going to go out and pat this squirrel on the head. And, and that was that. So we never got around to doing it. Uh, I do believe that she sent a Twitter out, probably... A reaction to try and get help uh, in a state of emergency 
And then, uh, you know, and then here we are today. So Elon Musk recently brought Twitter, which is fantastic in the sense of trying to preserve the freedom of speech and all of this stuff, which is very good. Uh, we all need freedom to speak. You know what I'm saying? Uh, it's difficult. It's difficult uh, if you don't get freedom to speak because then you just mute, you see. So it's always good. It's always good to have speech in general, um, but also perspectives. And if anything tells you anything about life, you always need to have the perspective of things you don't agree with, the things that really rile you and get you angry and all this stuff. Um, because, you know, it's good. It's good to have that. The reason it's good to have that is because it's debate, it's discussion, it's it's about learning, it's about education, it's all of this stuff. It's it's just good. It's good to have. So well done, Elon Musk. You've saved Twitter. I wonder how long it's going to be called Twitter. Maybe forever. It would be kind of cool if it was just Musk talk, you know, or Elon chat, like or um 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 um. Well, I can't say Tesla because he's left Tesla now. You could have had. Uh, test Tesla chatter. You could have had that, but that's gone. Um, I'm spaced X. You could have had. I'm spaced X chat rooms. Now that's too long. Um, so yeah, Musk talk would be better. So then you can just say I musked you instead of I tweeted you. I know. It is what it is. He owns it. So whatever. But yeah. So all of this, and it's funny I say about Elon. Uh, put a put a pin in that for now um but you know i'll get back to that in a second it's been funny it's been funny times in all seriousness win is just basically back in in hong kong revisiting all of our equipment that we have to ship over she has to itinerize it she's had to face a week in a hotel isolation basically squid games where um she's put in a hotel it's a nice hotel that's the apparency of it and then you know there's a knock on a door every day uh, with a kind of envelope where she opens it up and she has all of these games that she has to play. And if she gets to all the games, and it's a life or death game, you've all seen Squid Game, kind of like that. You know, you uh, you have to do stuff like um, Realistic Monopoly. And if you're bankrupt, you're actually bankrupt, right? So it's kind of extorting money. You know, it's, it's just how you got to get through the quarantine out there. So she's been doing that. I believe it's live broadcasted around uh, domestically in China, uh, the Squid Games, uh, which basically is their quarantine situation. But she came out of that. She won. Very good. Went through all the processes, leapt through all of the uh, the remaining things, had a PCR test, which is, uh, I, I think it's like um, to check if you're real or not, or if you're a part of this simulation theory. You know, I don't know. Don't know a lot about tests. All I know is that it was multiple choice. Uh, she was in the test center for a while and she had to answer a lot of questions about cheese production. So it's a bit random, but that's how they do things. So we all have our way of doing things, don't we? We all have our way. The UK uh, it had a way of doing things, uh, not a very good way, you know. And by contrast, China's basically got a zero tolerance Uh sort of situation which i mean you know it seems extreme for us here but at the same time it makes a lot of sense when you have a massive population 
So you can argue that till you're blue in the teeth. That's what freedom of speech is for. And just go on Twitter now because you can say whatever you want. It's very positive. Very positive. It's, it's better than this cancel culture. Because, you know, that's base. Basically, it's kind of like what the world was for many, 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 many years. And then it became Lord of the Flies. And then Elon has made it a few degrees more of what it always used to be before Lord of the Flies, if that makes sense. And you get the references. Won't help you if you don't get the references. Just read books. That's my recommendation for that. So anyway, um, that explains everything with Win. Uh, and I have been spending my time, and I told you there'd be a pin on Elon because he's connected to this bizarrely. He's kind of connected to everything these days. Can't go two steps without an Elon story. But it's the famous, famous, infamous, uh, always talked about, probably driving you mad if you're in America right now, case between Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. And just like most people, I started off my week um, when Wynn left watching footnotes, clips, little snippets, people's opinion pieces, a lot of influences on YouTube trying to have their two pence forth um, because, and I'll say this inverted commas, they're been asked for their opinions. I don't believe them, honestly. I think they just wanted to share it. Um, and so I've been watching a lot of that. And it started off with, you know, opinion pieces, what people thought. And I got frustrated with it. I got frustrated because I was trying to watch the trial with the depth of its subject matter, which is quite serious. I think we'll all agree with that. And everyone's putting funny music on it and trying to exploit you know, like the funniest moments that Johnny Depp is in trial stuff. There's nothing funny about this trial, man. This is about domestic abuse, you know, violence and defamation and, you know, careers and lives being destroyed. It's not exactly a sparky, happy thing. I mean, there's a lot of things that aren't typical in this case, which means that you can pull together off a clip of funny things, but it's kind of sad that you feel you have to. And I was watching these and I got frustrated before I found, before I located an actual feed to the trial. So an actual, you know, um, day by day account of things in court, which I believe is the YouTube law and crime or law in court. It's one of that live feeds. And it's one of the most no-frill live feeds. It's not connected to NBC in America or Fox or here in the UK. It's not Sky or BBC coverage. It's basically just a camera on the wall in the court, which is where a lot of people, I feel, is taking their footage to use in broadcast. I don't know who owns the footage, but I presume it's them because it's a it's kind of a legal referencing. I don't know. I don't know how it works. But to me, it's shades of the OJ Simpson trial. Uh, trial, not trial. It wasn't a trial, but it could have been a trial uh, to a detective. It was a trial for the rest of us. Uh, it was the same thing as the OJ trial for me. It was like this huge opportunity to have a window in uh, in a legal case that doesn't usually make a lot of sense to the rest of us in the real world. You know, this is like everyone gets to do jury duty, which is fun, interactive, and it's despite the severity of the case claim and with OJ it was a lot more severe because someone had died in that in this it's a case where the people are a lot more relevant to a lot more people you know in America OJ Simpson was a sports legend to the rest of the world we only really knew him from the naked gun movies we didn't really know the guy 
And then with Johnny Depp, I mean, this dude's like, you know, you could argue the John Lennon of acting. You could argue that. And for us to see this trial, it's like, we've heard a lot about it. (laughs) We haven't really wanted to hear anything about it. We followed it casually for years. And now we're getting to see what's going on. And for me, I wanted to have kind of respect for him because I've always personally seen him as the standard of what your approach to Hollywood should be in the sense of do the work for the passion and love of doing the work and the creativity of it, the ability to create as opposed to just work for a paycheck and come out the other side a very famous celebrity. He's never really exploited himself. He's never done anything professionally controversial. He's, you know, his choices for character could be argued controversial to producers and studios, but he has an individual as far as his professional life has always been very professional as far as I can tell. Um, His body of work has no dips. You could take one of the most lesser known Johnny Depp movies and it's still phenomenal as far as performance level goes. Anyone who grew up in the 80s and 90s, which is kind of his entire career, and had a window very vicariously to see into it. We've all known the guys basically rock and roll doing acting, you know. It's like, um, to put it into relative terms, it'll be like if Ozzy Osbourne basically became a very famous actor tomorrow, you know. Be a bit old now suppose but you know what i'm saying it's it's that approach there's kind of a lifestyle that comes from being a musician which is like very bohemian very gypsy almost qualities and then the application of how you view the acting industry and the film industry within that kind of bohemian spectrum is what johnny depp's done and no one else has done that it's uh, phenomenal that he's done that. And so a lot of us grew up knowing that there's controversy that's never two or three steps away from him. Case in point, uh, when it was the 90s, right off the back of Edward Scissorhands, I believe, when he was starting to become more household uh, name, still not a phenomenal megastar, but pretty famous. He gate crashed in the UK at the time in the 90s there was like this uh, series we had called Big Breakfast, which was like a morning show designed for young adults is the best way I can explain it. It was huge. It started from um, sunrise. So literally when the sun was rising, it started and it was live broadcasted from a house in North London, I believe, that was converted into a studio. So this is like a normal, typical British home for like, uh, you know, 2.5 kids, nothing elaborate, just a normal home on a suburban street. And they'd turned every room into something that acts like a studio and then broadcasted from it. Meaning that if there was a celebrity on it, they literally interview the celebrity in an interview segment within the show on a bed. It was like that. And this was at probably the highlight of UK creativity as far as television film and stuff like this at that time we were like mega it was a brit pop period you know times like oasis uh radiohead all of these world conquering british 
export, is how I would say it. In the film world, it was like the era where Danny Boyle started his career. If you don't know who that is, the director of Shallow Grave, moving on to Train Spotting, uh, moving on to 28 Days Later, things like this. Danny Boyle, most famously, I think, would be Slumdog Millionaire, director of that. His career started off in this period of time. So everything had this super weird and amazing vibe to it. Uh, Simon Pegg, career started off in space, the 90s. It was all this era. And in this period of time, Johnny Depp was, he was kind of like the poster boy kid, the kid that you all looked at and thought he's going to be the DiCaprio of his time. When DiCaprio was in like Titanic and stuff like this, he had that look, that leading man look, the young, youthful leading man look, you know, the Romeo from Romeo and Juliet, brilliant casting, what a way for Leo, that kind of vibe, where you could be the poster boy of that. And Johnny Depp was that for like a heartbeat. He's in all the girl magazines. They were selling him kind of like Justin Bieber, you know, all eyes on him. And then he did Edward Scissorhands and transcended. So he was like, screw you, I'm not going to be that guy. And became this gothic, weird, unapproachable, strange, mythological thing, which completely wasn't the direction people were trying to put him in, you know? Um, And so because he went in that direction, he lost a lot of that kind of weight of being um, the studio kid, the 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 um, poster boy of his generation, the two-bit uh, sort of great while you're young, thrown to one side when you get older kind of actor, the, the temporary celebrity, if you will, trying to sell to the teenage girl market, you know, that kind of thing. And he veered away from it. And in the period he was on The Big Breakfast, I think he was doing films like What's Eating Gilbert Grape, Benny and June, these classic Johnny Depp movies that were very quirky, very independent, and very much based on passion. A lot of these roles were neutral, subtle, didn't make a loud noise. And because of that, he was directly embraced by the UK, of which he lived in, in this period of time. And when him and Winona split, he went, obviously got with Kate Moss, which is public, And he was almost a domestic celebrity to us. And he kept doing all these amazing cameos that you never saw happening. Like he'd literally walk into the BBC and whatever they were filming that day, he'd be a part of. Because obviously this dude was a huge draw. Hollywood icon. Even then, you know, there was this kind of like huge electricity around him. And he'd just walk into a show, like a British sketch show or something, do a cameo, walk out, sitcom, cameo, walk out, and he'd just do it over and over again. So he was kind of one of these guys that you could tell sort of whole celebrity thing is an advantage to reach out to us watching through a TV screen of who he relates to, his fans, the supporters. And then he just treated the machine of Hollywood almost like a playground. And it used to frustrate the hell out of, you know, studios, producers and stuff. Nothing nothing has changed in that regard, even in this trial. But because he's made a career of it and they come through building one iconic character after another with stability, being this kind of tour de force of quality, assurance in a performance, no matter what he's going through personally, he never puts in a bad performance. You never see a dip in the energy or the... Um, the, the creativity, it doesn't dip. It, it keeps going and going and going, you know? So he becomes a staple and he's walked 
and defended and fought for and been an advocate to a lot of artists out there that, you know, got thrown off <laughs> off a building for being too uh, odd or weird. People like Terry Gilliam, like uh, Terry Gilliam had a almost a decade, I believe, of trying to fight to make a um, Don Quixote movie. And they did a documentary like a... It was meant to just be like clips of the, the process of them making it. It became a full documentary called Lost in La Mancha. These are all things not a lot of people have access to because a lot of people now are just judging him on his iconic stuff. Jack Sparrow, perhaps Sweeney Todd, perhaps, you know, Willy Wonka, perhaps Mad Hatter, uh, all the Disney stuff, basically. The Disney stuff and then, you know, um, I think the wizarding world stuff you know the, the big things a lot of people see him for that but if you've grown up with his career the the reason he's so influential is because you never knew what the guy was going to do next you just didn't he could do a natural acting role he could do jump into a, an action film uh, nick of time comes to mind uh you know which was this easily thrown away action film he did secret window uh, Stephen King thing, um, Ninth Gate, I think is Roman Polanski film, massively controversial director right there. But Johnny Depp was always around iconic folks, uh, controversial and iconic. Uh, Hunter S. Thompson, when he did Fear and Loathing uh, in Las Vegas, one of the best roles he ever did, probably should have won an Oscar for it, if I'm honest. The Academy never even acknowledged Johnny Depp. And Fear and Loathing, if you're talking pure acting role, is phenomenal. Again, directed by Terry Gilliam of Monty Python fame. All of these things are instrumental and give you context, by the way. I'm not just saying this randomly to give you a kind of biased view on him. I'm telling you this stuff because it's come out in a trial. And, you know, he's having to explain this to a jury, probably, who don't follow all of this stuff. And a world of fans and supporters who probably don't know a lot of it. Uh, or the context of it. So a lot of us who grew up with him, we know this stuff, you know, we we followed it. And if you find yourself in, in, in this weird environment called Hollywood, and you want to find yourself a film career, and you want to get involved in the industry, at some point, you're going to find third person accounts, this guy knows him, that guy knows him, this guy used to manage him that you know, it's it's kind of like, a town where the industry is entertainment and he's been living there for years kind of like the guns and roses hollywood home boy hero if that makes sense uh people move in they they never leave and they they work and they do all of these iconic things from there he's always had a base there basically a lot of actors don't have a base there and they only go there to work but he always has retained it a bit like keanu reeves and Nicolas Cage, I believe, probably has a staple environment there, being a Coppola, uh, being the nephew of Francis Ford Coppola, you know, Hollywood royalty. It's kind of a thing. So when you're a fan, and I was a fan of a lot of these people, growing up as a kid, you just look at it. I always had a vast love of movies, um, a bit like a kind of the archive IMDB, the uh, analog version of it. Uh, store things to memory in my lifetime these guys are all icons especially to me because I relate to the rock and roll principle I started off in a band myself 
And that was my first realization I could actually entertain anyone. You don't get that kind of, um, I'm introverted. So if you're extroverted, you'll probably go off and do musicals and be like this really loud performer. For me, I never knew I could do it. I was always dead serious. I was studying things like um, being a detective, wanted to be in the FBI actually, um, but I couldn't because <laughs> I'm a UK citizen. You know, obviously I had a very serious mentality as a kid doing martial arts and things, trying to find an application for what I knew. And one day someone said innocently, why don't you just, you know, stop trying to go to do a job where um, you put everyone's life at risk and just do it, you know, just fake it, act it. And as soon as someone said that to me, a thing clicked to my head and I was like, hmm, that sounds reasonable. I can be an FBI agent without having to worry that I'm a UK, so, you know. And so as a kid, 15 years old, I realized that that's probably the way I wanted to do it. I've always been a creator, always written ever since I was a kid. I wrote a play at the age of four. I'm a bit of a weirdo that way. I used to lock myself in rooms and just write and draw and stuff like this. And so, you know, by the time you get to that age where you're really finding your influences and icons and stuff, Johnny Depp's name popped up for me, especially as one of the most relatable narratives and, and, and embodiments of where I could see myself fitting because he's not someone who draws a lot of the attention to him day to day. He's very subtle and introvert. And that's the way I approached it. I, I never liked the loud, the show-offy, the crazy, you know, in character, that's okay. It's almost like if someone shoots the gun at a start of a race, you go off and you run someone says action it's the same thing you can do that you can be a performer then but for me it was kind of like more of a serious thing and a depth of respect for the creativity uh, without getting weird and precious about it just the expression means more and in music if you've ever been a musician that's the reason you do it because if you're a songwriter especially and that's my experience you creating songs be it you know, you're writing the music, scoring the soundtrack or whatever, or you're actually writing lyrics on top of that. It's an expression of yourself. So it's a very vulnerable thing to do. Um, you're, you're offering the world a part of yourself, you know? And I think that's why Johnny Depp's introverted. A lot of musicians actually are. Possibly the reason they get involved in substances is for that probable edge to be removed where they're protecting themselves and they're, feeling anxious about being in this situation where I have to be charismatic all the time and it's not their nature to be. And I totally relate to that. I've never had the curse, thank goodness, of having to rely on substances to cope with it, but I am definitely the rarity in this, this conversation. There's almost a status quo in being a musician where you find solace and even your muse at times within substances that can numb pain. Whereas I actually did this thing in my head, probably martial arts training of turning the pain into the resource for the art. So the pain itself gave me the access to create. It became the substance that I could create the art with. Therefore it was an expression of release. And this is all boring. Sorry folks, but you know, this is to give you context. So watching this trial to me had an extra 
weight behind it because I've, like most fans, had this kind of third-person love for Johnny Depp. And, you know, there's been times in my time in Hollywood where I've been three degrees of separation from him. Weirdly, uh, we tried to approach him once when we found agent numbers and contacts and stuff like this for advice. And this is way back 2006. Because again, it's relatability. I was someone that was known in the music industry and in, in as far as my town, but I come from a pretty legendary place as far as music is concerned, being Birmingham, where the careers of Black Sabbath, uh, certain members of Led Zeppelin, lo loads of phenomenal bands in the 70s basically blossomed here. And so there was a relatability and a comfort zone of, I wish I could ask him for his advice. I think he'd really be able to help me out. You know, there's a lot of relatability. It's only, it's that pipe thing you always think, of course, I got time to help me out. And it's not like the guy's busy, you know, he's only a celebrity. And of course, that was the initial thing. We tried to reach out to him for that, 2006. It then became this thing that was super weird. Like I was basically friends at the time with a guy who was a mixologist uh, working in Hollywood. And he did functions a, a lot for a producer who lived actually in one of Johnny Depp's houses. Um, but I didn't know that they lived in Johnny Depp's house. And one day, typical Hollywood life, my buddy, who I'm going to keep his name out of it because he still works, you know, he was basically, hey, let's go up to um, my buddy's house up here that I did a function with. It'd be really cool for you to meet them because they're a producer and stuff. So I was like, awesome, let's go and, and check it out. So we go to this place, which is up in the Hollywood Hills, Sunset, I believe, Sweetser. And we go up into this place, and it's it, it's basically the only way I can describe it. It's like a Hollywood house, you know, Hollywood Hill house. Uh, you've all seen them in films. This one particularly looked like I just stepped on a set of like Mulholland Drive, something like this, where it's one of these you know, iconic Hollywood houses with the old infinity pools that just drop off the side, you know, and the balcony and all this stuff. And I meet this producer who, again, I will take the name off uh, for, for protecting them. We've all seen what happens <laughs> when you name drop celebrities, hence this trial. And we're sat down there and we're talking to this producer. And at the time, there's a bunch of girls living and she was a female producer, just to give you perspective. And she was living with a bunch of girls at the time who were all kind of casted for a reality TV show that this producer was pulling off because she had to rebuild her career. She just had a divorce. So all of her life was torn apart. And that's when I first understood that she was living in Johnny Depp's house because I was like, hey, did you get this house in a settlement? As a curious thing to say, you know? And she was like, no, 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 no. Johnny Depp let me use it rent-free to rebuild my life. So she was using the house as a production office and, and rebuilding from nothing. And this is the kind of guy that he is to people out there, which gives you perspective of him. Bearing in mind, this is a female producer who was probably in the industry because her husband was an established producer. Then they divorced and she went off on her own. And this became the only thing she knew how to do. And he lends a very, very big help. 
helping hand for her because he gave her a property that was good enough to be a production office, good enough to be a home for your actresses, potential actresses in a show to film a pilot. You know, he established her, gave her the foundation for her to go off and have a career. And there's infinite stories regarding him in that way in Hollywood. So this is what he does. And there's no sort of surface sort of scandal. Like in Hollywood, if you work in the industry, if you go to a networking party or basically a Hollywood party, um, you will hear gossip. And you will hear gossip from the horse's mouth. You will hear from peers in the industry, actors that are very established, be it TV or film, will be there. And if you're in the upper echelon, which very few people get to be because there's kind of like a an arena where if you're the the fans that are lucky enough to know someone who's a journalist or something like this and you get invited, you're in this pool with a kind of degree of separation and the expectation is that you're a fan. And within that group, there's obviously opportunistic folks who are trying to, you know, make an impression and get themselves up the ladder as fast as possible and then there's the vip side of that where you're actually a scheduled celebrity in the location with kind of an all-access pass for lack of a better word and within that section you're actually hanging out with celebrities on equal standing because everyone in that section is a celebrity and very few people get to see that side of it but when you are on that side of it if they recognize you or not it becomes quite more realistic it becomes a conversation between friends as opposed to strangers if that makes sense so no one feels the pressure of networking and they're really just kind of sharing stories you never in the vip sections which i've had the fortune to be in a few times uh you know because i'm awesome uh and and i deserve it and and yeah but seriously uh the reverse of that just totally accidental really um just typical hollywood stuff i made my way in that experience and when i've been in that experience no one said a bad word and you would hear it trust me in a sense hollywood is a town like any town and the industry is entertainment and everyone's out for blood and everyone's opportunistic and everyone's competitive and there were literally names in Hollywood that are untouchable in a sense because they're not controversial characters. Their life might be controversial. Their choices might be, you know, by the normal standards, the status quo, controversial, but they themselves are not. And he, Keanu, and a few other names are not controversial. They're the shoe-ins. They're the absolutes, right? So then... We roll into that time where suddenly Amber Heard's on the scene and I've got to be honest because I've had this three degrees of separation, known Johnny Depp's career since, you know, it made an impact and I think the first thing I saw him in was Nightmare on Elm Street so I've been there since the start. I can't say the same for Amber Heard. Amber Heard to me, I'm just being honest with you, I'm not trying to shame or anything like this but... She wasn't a standout name. I probably knew that she was in Zombieland. I recall. I think she was a psycho girlfriend, ironically, that gets, you know, I think she's the first zombie attack in the in the film. I'm not even sure, but I think that's her. She's kind of the bit part. She's the 
this again sounds <laughs> sounds weird. I would put in the same category. I'd put Zoe Deschanel in. You know Zoe Deschanel now. Obviously, she's got a successful sitcom and stuff. But for a long time, she was doing all these roles, floating in and out of stuff. She did that film with Jim Carrey. Uh, she did um, Hitchhiker's Guide when they tried to do the reboot of that, which I actually really, really enjoyed. And then, you know, she was in bits. Amber Heard, to me, was in the same celebrity circles as that kind of a thing, or a Blake Lively, if you if you prefer. You know, that kind of, you know her, and you recognize her, and she's probably enough to know her name. But you couldn't really differentiate her between 95 other actresses that are probably fighting for the same roles that she's getting. But she did have, to her credit, she did have an ability to do a couple of indie films here and there, which had a bit of weight. But she wasn't exactly on fire. She was kind of what I would say mid-tier Hollywood, where you're sort of getting into grips and stuff like this with your career. But the important thing is to know that when she and Johnny Depp got together publicly for the first time, no matter, you know, what what actually the date was in the trial, when they got together publicly, sort of post-Rum Diary period, because the speculations started whilst they were filming the Rum Diaries, the media were talking about it through that film. The official starting date, she was extraordinarily young. So this is a person who by comparisons would have been the same age Johnny Depp was when he did 21 Jump Street, if not Edward Scissorhands for short. So her career hadn't really established yet. Rum Diary wasn't enough to establish her. It was enough to make you see her as perhaps a supporting actress, perhaps a lead actress in indie stuff, but it wasn't enough to sort of sell a franchise on the shoulders, you know? And so she was quite random. It felt quite random. You know, similar story I can tell you, actually, uh, comparable uh, to that story, was when Gary Oldman, who is also on my Mount Rushmore of amazed actors, was with Uma Thurman when she was very young. Uh, They were a couple for a while. And there was a lot of controversy surrounding that too. And the breakup. But in this situation, Amber Heard... You know, we could all look at her around that sort of time as the kind of girl next door, Texas, independent, Irish spirit, kind of free spirit, hippie, pseudo hippie, party girl, you know, very what we all know, I suppose. She didn't have the controversial edge to her. She wasn't like Winona was back in the day. She didn't match Johnny Depp's obvious quirkiness and alternative lifestyle she was very pure and straight well i say pure but you know what i'm saying like she she didn't have any controversy around her weirdly very comparable to evan rachel wood and marilyn manson where you've got this really young girl with an extremely odd character and it, the two of them don't make any sense together you know whereas <laughs> I'm throwing out every name and the sun here. Rose McGowan, post Robert Rodriguez or just before I forget, she had a relationship with Marilyn Manson. And at the time, she was very gothic, alternative, had fiery red hair. She was in a show about witches. You know, she, she was in that kind of edgy side of the spectrum. Evan Rachel Wood 
wasn't. She was a young actress that had blossomed on the film 13. And I actually met her at that time and she was immensely young, you know, terrified of a lot of things. But Amber Heard was this kind of, what I would imagine, you know how they used to, like I think Arrested Development took a parody angle on this? She was the kind of girl you can imagine on spring break in America, going to all of those kind of mad parties on the beach and stuff. She's that kind of a girl, right? There is an edge to her. I think you can see that, but we didn't know a lot about her. And that's all I'm saying. Like no one really knew who, who she really was. I'm not saying that to be mean. I'm just saying that to be truthful. And it seems sort of like a left field move for Johnny Depp. We all thought he was immensely happy with Vanessa Parody. And I remember reporters here, possibly in America too, were saying how it's like a midlife crisis. Like this dude's, you know, he's hitting that age where he wants to be a teenager again. He wants to revitalize his career and stuff like this. And here we go. And that's what everyone sort of put it in the box of. No one really thought about it after that. It was signed, sealed, delivered. I can tell you there was probably a little bit of animosity that he'd left the mother of his kids. Uh, there always is. It's like when Harrison Ford got with Callista Flockhart for the first time. Uh, we knew Callista Flockhart massively uh, successful in Ali McBeal, the show. And Harrison Ford, who'd been married for ages, mysterious guy, didn't really know a lot about him, didn't share a lot of his personal life, but we knew he had a sustained marriage with kids. We were all adults at this point. So that relationship had a bit of controversy for the same reason. But they've proven to everyone that they're absolutely right together. They're the, you know, poster relationship, one of them. And all credit to Harrison Ford and Callista Flockhart because they've they've turned that immediate instinct that the press has to doom a relationship and said, well, you know, we're, we're way better off with each other than we were before. So awesome. You then look at stuff like Mal Gibson, who was like one of the most powerful people in the industry and how they overexploited and extorted his kind of meltdown, you know, to throw him under a bus. Um, sometimes I think, these things come to pass because Hollywood has a threatened stance on you where you're bigger than the studio, where you become a celebrity that's bigger than the studio system and therefore they're looking for the way to crush your career. Like if there's anything that you do that's slightly weird, they will exploit it until your name is blackened. And I think that does happen. I think sometimes with Mal Gibson, I definitely think that happened because the context of his case was so overturned. You only heard this immense bias against him. And these are the things that folk who are listening nowadays will refer to like the Me Too movement, all the controversies with that, all the controversies with the cancel culture, even the controversies with a couple of high-profile legal cases, Weinstein being an example of this, where people decide that they're guilty before the trial, like it's just decided. It's not a justification to say, you know, if they're proven guilty, then, you know, you, you acted like a lunatic for a guy that's basically a criminal. No, I'm not trying to justify anything in that regard. I'm just trying to put in perspective that there are many things in the industry that by the time they land on your lap here in the UK or anywhere in the world, for that matter, 
so separate from the source, so separate from the industry itself without any knowledge of how it all operates and works and stuff like this. And you're just a citizen sitting here reading this stuff or listening to this stuff. The perspective is distorted by a lot. I always go into this healthily with my friends and family trying to say, don't have a judgment until you have facts or until you meet the person and you can decide who they are and what they are which especially with actors is probably the most sensible thing because you just don't know who they are and what they are until you know who they are and what they are, literally. Which is why a lot of us have what we can only have as a base instinct looking at all of this stuff. And I do remember Amber Heard and John Depp when they got together, it was the rudimentary kind of midlife crisis point. You, you kind of did feel that, like everyone felt that, just by being this citizen speculating, you know? But the, the things it's escalated to um, leading us to the trial that we're currently in after the failed suing of the Sun newspaper, and I'll give Americans and our international listeners an insight to the Sun newspaper. It's horrific. It's basically like a misogynistic exaggeration tabloid that's built to crush success. The only thing I think The Sun has done that's credible is covering wrestling, professional wrestling. I think they've got credible coverage of professional wrestling. I do not think they have credibility in any other area. I think everything else is all sort of built on destroying or trying to be controversial or digging. Um, they've been instigators in a lot of celebrity depressions. They were horrific to Princess Diana when she was alive. They're the kind of jackal newspapers that basically, if you do anything in life successful, they're going to be literally chomping at a bit to crush you. And so they will use deliberate language that becomes almost like how wrestling promos are. You know, when the, the, the bad guy in wrestling sort of gives you a catchphrase for the good guy or the good guy gives you a catchphrase or a bad guy and it sticks, and then it becomes like a thing used at live performances where they all repeat it, you know? It's kind of like that, where they frame people in this way by labeling them. Do I think Johnny Depp had the right to sue them? I do, but then it becomes a question of freedom of speech, which is where that trial was defended. Uh, newspapers and journalists can literally always have that as an excuse because they can say, well, we're just putting out our opinions, freedom of speech. And if you want to take that away, then it becomes a huge liability charge in a different political spectrum, which is this snarky, sharky way of avoiding the blame of defamation because that's what they're doing. They're making nicknames happen that are very much destroying careers, defaming people, and, you know, it's kind of horrific. But these are tabloids. This is what tabloids do, and this is what they will always do. It's become clickbait online and a lot of people take everything literally and they'll read stuff in a sentence and it will inform them uh, without context and that's the biggest problem in the world is context right now so then you know that happens and we get to this point now where you know i'll tell you from a uk perspective no one really cared here it wasn't really a thing we all thought about we were dealing with the pandemic deeply at that point i do remember being curious, like very casually curious, seeing photographs of them going to court, um, stuff like this, but it wasn't really televised or anything like that. It was a blip. 
I think it would have had more sort of credence in Hollywood where it would have been on E channel, I would imagine. And there'd be full coverage, TMZ and stuff like this would have covered it. Not the same environment here in the UK. We, we really don't care. But, you know, it happened. And it would be probably a conversation between myself and my mom once a week. Oh, have you heard about that? Yeah, I heard about that. The end, you know. So when this case came to pass, I didn't even think this case was going to be televised. I heard about it. And then, like I said, I'm just on YouTube one day checking stuff or whatever. And boom, pop, there is loads of these feeds popping up about the trial. So I'm just televised. Awesome. Great. And, you know, for the last three weeks, I've been digging deep, watching all of the day by day coverage. So seven hour days, five days a week, breaks at the weekend. And it started off just out of curiosity. And then it became a case where you start really, really caring about what's going on in this case. For me, it was the perspective of the the court system in America is fascinating to me. It's so different from the UK. You know, here it's all about tradition and honor and wigs and uh, formality. It's a little bit like watching politics here in the UK, like uh, prime minister's questions or something. It's very similar to that. Whereas in the USA, it's such a, like a lot of things in America, it's such a vibrant kind of active adrenaline rush in a weird sense. You know, the objections and the, uh, just the format of the court is very, very different. And I think out of respect for who Johnny Depp is, what Johnny Depp means to myself as far as an influence or an inspiration, as far as a lot of people in Hollywood who do walk that alternative line, and follow his path with curiosity. We've been devastated to see him accused of all of this stuff. I think there's just this, this can be one of these cases where it's the darkest story ever. You know what I'm saying? We have so much respect for an individual that this stuff turns out true. And you're like, Jesus, you know, this is whatever. But in his case, I just can't see that. You know, going into this, I've never taken it seriously. I've never believed he's capable of what he's been accused of. It's the kind of thing you just like, here's another story where there's an exploitation, where this young actress who probably just feels bitter about being so young in the middle of all of it is just doing everything she can to leapfrog his career, to have her own career. Um, she's using a lot of political movements and climate to try and help her do that. Unfortunately, we're seeing that in so many areas this day and age where the political climate, your, your kind of loyalties are making it incapable of alternatives. You know, avenues should be infinite, but everyone's trying to reduce them down to, to one or two. Anyway, so we all had this idea and we could label either Amber Heard as a villain and Johnny Depp as a hero or vice versa depends which side of the fence you fit because Amber Heard is very modern. She's a modern role model for a lot of people. She's um, bisexual. I believe she was married to a woman before she was married to Johnny. She's that kind of, like I said, she's the spring break poster model with a, with a hint, with a touch of kind of happiness about her, you know, she's starting a career. She's very young. She's also easy to victimize. She, you know, a lot of this stuff at the time is, is believable both ways. You could argue. I never lost my traction of Johnny Depp, knowing the industry, like I know, knowing the voices that I know in that industry and the friends that I have there. 
I honestly believe there would have been talk about him. I think the the controversial stuff I've always heard about actors, not necessarily him, but is that they flirt with other males and stuff, and there's kind of this peace and love hippie vibe to everyone where there's no separation. It's all it's platonic floating relationships that you know it's just fun and almost like being on tour of a band every day of the week i probably think that's the most controversial thing i've ever heard in that direction with any of the guys i mentioned there's just a case where they're they're just rock and roll but with her we didn't know anything about her right so we we really haven't really known amber heard until all of this came out then we've heard so much about amber heard we're like oh okay she's she's a celebrity now and she gets aquaman sure uh actually had the justice league before aquaman i mean run-of-the-mill character isn't it like she's good in it she holds her own in it i don't think she's swallowed up in a narrative the character's fun but is she the star of it no Jason Momoa is the star of it, right? I think Gal Gadot is the star of it, you know, because I think she has a cameo or whatever. Amber Heard is is the performance. That she's the supporting character. So I, it it it's difficult because she I I don't think she really had her career kick off. It wasn't really at that point of supernova. I think her choices in her career have been of this time, like not safe definitely not safe she's done a few things here and there but nothing's really been a blockbuster nothing's been sensational she's not been an iconic actress there's nothing she's done in her career that basically stands her taller than anyone else really she's just in a pool of names and 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 faces that you recognize until johnny depp until johnny depp then she was johnny depp's wife right and this is how hollywood works tag off the celebrity and so when she did all of the things outside the scope of all of the civilians, basically the primary audience, knowing the processes and having the information, the context of what was going on, basically she did a lot of things like she filed for a restraining order. The press had access to that, so they just literally blasted it everywhere. It's no one's real fault. That's basically what happens when you file a document and that's a civil document, you know. Yeah, basically, all of these accusations rallied up. Now, again, a lot of people like myself, uh, my friends who grew up in the era of Johnny Depp, we, we didn't take a lot of it that seriously. I mean, it might sound weird to a lot of people in this day and age, if you're young, part of woke movement, all this stuff. But we grew up in, in times where iconic bands were doing worse than anything that's been put on record. Ozzy Osbourne, back in the day, in the 70s, things were truly wild. Uh, you always had stories like that. Uh, roadies, you know, girls on the road, sorry. Uh, yeah, you know, like, it's all there. There's an amazing film called Almost Famous, directed by Cameron Crowe, that kind of goes into that kind of groupie culture and you know, people hanging out with bands and stuff, sort of free love and expression and everything's, you know, it is what it is, man. How many of those girls could switch now and turn around and say, well, you know, that was abuse because I was a kid back then. The thing that's loopy is a lot of people put themselves in that position because they're massively fans of the band or the celebrity. 
And it is my belief that Amber Heard was a kind of Johnny Depp groupie, as so many of us are. You know, I mean, she's plucked from the infinite people working in Hollywood that could have been her, essentially. And everything just clicked. She might have done a research. She might have known a lot about him. She was literally a civilian. She might turn around and say, well, my career was up and I was making money in Hollywood. She was renting an apartment. That's not making money in Hollywood. That's surviving, which means that you're not quite, you know, established yet. She'd done a few things, sure. She was above, like, the bottom tier, sure. She wasn't an unknown, for sure. But, as I said, it feels like everything she had set aside to do, even when she met him, had a sense of research attached to it. Because things don't work like that in reality. They can, of course. Anything's possible. But I just feel like everything she's done accused him of doing Everyone in society is divided by camps and tribes and they no longer rationalize. There's no longer a rationalized thought. There's no longer, well, what if she was a serial flirter with the leads in her films? What if? And that she was doing it to climb the ladder as fast as she could. What if? Because that's quite typical in Hollywood. Even today, that's typical. People are doing that all the time. If you suddenly turn a story into something ultra real, what's your end game with that? To become super wealthy? Self-established? Trial, therefore, was our way in to see this window in all of this craziness that then explodes. And honestly, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna call it for what it is. I've watched every single day. I think that Johnny Depp is using the trial and the reason it's televised for him isn't a situation of narcissism. It's a situation where Johnny Depp for 30 odd years in his career has directly talked to his fans. He skips the process. He skips the formality. He skips the elitism and he goes directly to his fans. This is what he's made a career doing. He'd rather hang out with normal, regular folks that that basically have conversations like, oh, I fixed the toilet last night, than he would with a bunch of hard knobs rubbing shoulders at a Hollywood event, like the Academy, for an example. He's he's just that guy. Similar to all of all of the people in the bands and everything that, that works in, in sort of a safeguarded bubble, uh, like music is. He's he's that guy. I think he stated it in his own words. He was always the guitarist, but he had to become the front man, right? And that's literally how I think he is. I, I, I literally think that's what he's been for 30 years. There's controversy. There's drugs. There's excess. There's a love and a passion for wine and things like this, not shared exclusively to himself. And how much in this day and age is abusing alcohol, really? You know, everything's subjective. I just think that his case was profound because anyone in the industry would have known that he's a fraud, okay? They would have seen it. That's how Hollywood works. There's not a moment where you're not watched by someone. That's how it is, especially when you've got a security team. And there, there's countless of people that can be examples of being a security for this hugely 
established personality and then they sell their story. Do you know what I'm saying? They sell their story to a magazine or a book or whatever because their employer's abusive or whatever. They sell that story. None of that's happened here because he's not that guy, right? And so going into this, I'd have to be immensely, uh, well, you'd be skeptical if you know anything about the guy, thinking that he was guilty of anything she said. So for a lot of us, just on a common sense principle, we're like, she's just trying to destroy him. She's trying to ruin his career for whatever reason. You flip the coin then, and you start thinking about her. What's her motive? What's her rationale? Do I think she's a gold digger? I don't think she's a gold digger. I think she's an opportunist. I think all she really wanted was to leapfrog. I think she's also got emotional issues. I think she's got things in the past, in her childhood or whatever, questionable, but definitely real. Uh, you can see that in the way she's been acting in her testimony. And I could go through the whole trial bit by bit and break it down, but I'm going to hit these keynotes and then I'll wrap this up and we'll move on and get back to normal life. Uh, I might readdress this throughout the trial. It's halfway through. I might do a conclusion. I might talk about certain days if they're relevant and they come up. But I'm going to say this. I'm going to call it what it is in common sense and basically say her defense within this trial especially, the one in the UK had different rules and legality to it, you know. But the one, this trial especially fair being civil and it's a defamation trial, which means they're not really being tried for if they're guilty or innocent of anything. It's really a case of is there conclusive evidence to prove that she's had an instrumental impact on his career? I actually think going into that, that's that's already been proven. I think 100% she has. Specifically what though? Because it's a lawsuit. So technically it has to be a certain published article from what I'm gathering. And it's this one in particular that she wrote that's politically written, politically correct, so it doesn't mention him by name, but the insinuation is 100% there. I've actually had things written about myself. Uh, exes uh, of mine have written pieces similarly to that. Um, luckily, I'm not in the same fields as Johnny Depp where my celebrity's really important enough for reputation to be destroyed by comments or any ill press. I'm luckily not that right now, you know. Do I wish to be? No. Does Johnny Depp? No. Does Amber Heard? Probably. That's the point. So, you know, these things are slight. Uh, they're suggestive. They have a massive impact. A lot of people don't realize how tough the job is. They don't realize the work that goes into years upon years upon years of honing craft and, and making sacrifices. And it's a selfish path. Basically, every artist is addicted to their creativity, the expression of creativity. It's selfish because people who don't have that gene, who don't have that kind of mode, if you will, they can do things, normal things. They know what a vacation feels like, going off, having two weeks holiday, great. They know what it's like to have a nine-to-five structured life. They know what it's like to get off work, moan about how mundane it all is put the TV on, be fully entertained by it to get up the next day and rotate. An artist doesn't have that. An artist literally wakes up in the middle of the night and goes, oh, I just I just thought of a goat on a boat. I got to film that or whatever their medium is, you know, like I got to paint this incredible sunset or whatever it is. You have this drive that separates you from status quo, which means you become in a manic creative state 
where you just have to do it and and people who love you or want to try and understand you from a very different status quo will either see you as self-destructive they'll be worried about you financially or mentally or whatever or they won't understand the uh kind of pull focus on life they won't understand why you drop into these states so it's a tough thing for what i would quote unquote normal person to deal with you know so you have to have a symbiotic relationship that can handle the difference right which is incredibly hard to find incredibly hard to find there's a lot of people who think well i'm an artist too but you're not because if you're actually saying that you're not an artist an artist will say I'm an artist with a kind of tongue-in-cheek laugh at themselves um, because really it's vulnerability and understanding you've got an addiction problem you can't control to create. So it, it, it it's a horrific <laughs> thing to be a part of. I suffer from it. It's an affliction, really. And if you're not that, it's very seen early on uh, a lot of people in hollywood for example i would say 95.8 percent of the people in hollywood are not artists they're they're really not uh they're just there in a creative situation doing creative things and that's the job that they've picked you know and they're very fortunate to be doing it or they've got a look or they've got a sale point but they're not a creative artist a creative artist is in hell every single day you never really see the successes. You only see the, the work. And so you put that into the wrong situation. You put that into a combination where we've got this opportunistic person who probably doesn't have the talent for the ambition that they set themselves. Opposite a guy that's got the talent, doesn't really understand what ambition is, and yet the talent propels them to an ambition that they never asked for. That's what I see in this case. And we have to have perspective that she is very young. She's very young when she gets with a guy that's far older than she is. For sure, he's an icon at that point. And he comes with super press. I, I relate the whole thing, if I'm honest, to just save you all and spare you all. I relate the whole thing to Princess Diana and Prince Charles. I think the relationship is very similar to that. The people are very different, but the situation is the same. When you get to a certain celebrity status, in America especially, you become like our queen, monarch, very protected, extremely sought after. Security is a huge deal for you, and your private life is gone. You've got no private life whatsoever. So the only way you can have a personal private life is if you lock it down, if you lock it down and institutionalize it. So it's you get to live really in the safety and sanctuary of your own properties or space. You can never guarantee that that will be private. That's the insane thing about that kind of celebrity. Buckingham Palace, you'll see, has massive fence separations so paparazzi can't be constantly taking photos through windows. But you can't really get that in LA. Los Angeles isn't equipped for that. So people are like jumping in trees, taking pictures of you in your bedroom when you wake up in the morning. A lot of us don't try and understand what that feels like, but it's obscene. It's ludicrous. 
this is the kind of thing that a lot of people go, oh, that'd be so cool to be that that known. If you imagine going to the 24-hour supermarket of your choice, there's many of them, in the middle of the night because you ran out of, I don't know, water or something, toiletries or something like this, and you need them in the middle of the night, and you go out to a supermarket, especially in America, you know, weather is on your side in California, go out to, say, a 24-hour shop, in your PJs and your slippers, a lot of people do this, go out, you know, credit card, whatever, don't have to talk to people, just go in, grab the thing, zap it on your little uh, tap card or whatever, get back in, no one thinks of nothing, or you go to a drive-in, in the middle of the night, that's what you do. That movement that you take for granted, because you know no one cares, and it is what it is, and you're having a proper giggle about it with your friends if you go as a group, or you're just doing it out of desperation, or whatever it is, that one move, can destroy your career if you're a celebrity because you can go out to Ralph's, someone will write an article of exactly what you're buying, deduce, give an opinion piece, and it can crush you. It can be crushing. It can go through different departments in your entourage, your publicist, and all this stuff who are literally managing your reputation, and it can crush you. So put in a situation where a girl, opportunistic by her own admission, I don't know if you all got that from a testimony origin story, but she leapt through school faster than she should have. She graduated earlier because she took opportunities to get up the ladder. She admitted that. She had a special effects makeup course, by the way. I don't know if you all noticed in her testimony, if you were listening to it, which really plays out to when you see certain bruise shots of her where it's all red and it doesn't look like any bruise you've ever seen it looks literally like someone put blusher on a thing in a in a streak but you know that's just a footnote you could design she would have known how to do that stage makeup just saying speculative you know objection hearsay you see i'm learning illegal but yeah like you take that into accord like a lot of us don't even think about that man a lot of us don't even understand that every move we make, every we're in a restaurant, we're just eating with a mate. We've never met that mate. Maybe a job interview. Maybe you're employing a new hairstylist. Maybe you need someone to pick your kids up. It can be interpreted by paparazzi that you're having some kind of crazy affair, right? Now, a lot of people in Hollywood and that type of celebrity living in isolation, tanks, will only read any news on their spouse, their other half, their partner, whatever you want to say, through the media through the media. So everything is this juggling act of jealousy, rage, <laughs> not knowing the truth, not knowing what to believe. Problem is, if you're actors, uh, you can both lie for a living. So it's probably easier for you to lie than most people. It is what it is. You can look at this whole thing like a cynical joke. But I think it's darker than that. I think that Johnny Depp put people up at some point the honeymoon phase of their relationship faded i think his age became a reality to amber heard i think that his the the kind of iconic johnny depp faded away to this real human johnny depp that she couldn't handle the age suddenly became prominent and then she saw it as an opportunity is what i think i think she saw it as an opportunity where she could devise a plan to destroy him probably because she felt entrapped by a relationship that she'd thrown herself in without really fully understanding what she'd done to herself, right? Whatever. I don't think there's 
psychotic motivation here. I don't think she wanted to destroy him. I think it became, maybe she just saw him as a dad. Maybe because she had this dad issue and trauma and stuff like this, maybe she just psychologically saw him fitting that mold. I know for sure she related to Johnny Depp as an abusive mom from his past, like, and the way she acted and stuff. But I think that was part of her, her plan. I think she cultivated a plan to bring him down. All of the evidence in this trial so far, witnesses and statements and everything like this, a lot of it's circumstantial. A lot of it can just scroll through and just be like, whatever. But it's telling a narrative. If you're actually an investigator, if you're actually a detective and looking for motivation, also had access to crime scenes and stuff like this or injury reports or whatever, Amber Heard, A, never had an injury, never a visible one. Johnny Depp's injury is from her bar the finger and the cigarette burn on his face, to me, were very surface level, which means that nothing was really highly dramatic. It wasn't enough to swell to an extreme. There was no immense signs or traces of injury to either of them in that regards. But the finger thing, which we'll never know the answer to that, was kind of like a footnote, a milestone in how crazy this went out of control and escalated to a point where on the surface it's a toxic relationship. In reality, I think she was trying to do everything she could to create a case against him. I think to Amber Heard, she's a gold digger with the consciousness of not wanting to be a gold digger because of self-respect or whatever, but I think she would do anything to gain the upper hand in her career, including exploiting or destroying any friendship or any relationship she's got. Unfortunately, I think that's her current psychology. It's a telling point that a lot of people have either walked away from their deposition in this trial that were meant to be witnesses or could be witnesses on her side. I feel it's a telling thing where a lot of guys that have been with her that full-on believed her that she was genuine and that Johnny Depp was this evil monster or whatever, have backtracked and sort of separated themselves a bit or even gone so far as make a public statement of how wrong was I, you know? It's a sad situation, but there is no side to this. If you're going to talk about a defamation trial, if it doesn't go in the favor of Johnny Depp, there's, you know unintended there's no justice left in the world i think it's the most open closed case in regards to that there's ever been the circus show that's coming around it a lot of people are approaching it with the wrong acknowledgement they're looking at it like oh my god we're trying to you know um why, why are they having this trial this trial is saying so much about themselves it's all kind of really personal and they both come off looking terrible from it I actually think that Johnny Depp's entire body of work, his parenting, his manhood, his reputation being the fact that he's helped people through their career, his reputation going to do all the charity work he has done at hospitals for the kids, very poor or sick children, that he's he's done a lot to help a lot of people, being an entertainer, sure, but also through charity funding and spokespersons, stuff like this, all of that would be thrown into this kind of group of celebrities that were once this magnificent thing and, and spiraled out of control and became this horrific thing. 
all of the good he's done in this world is tarnished. So I, again, think this trial is about him reaching to his fans and his supporters in a way of saying, this is really what's going on, okay? So if the industry throws me out, you know, fine. If my public image is ruined forever, fine. But as far as the civilians, the people that watch my stuff, the people who have bought my films, the people I've met in life or advised, you all know better than that. And you all know that, yeah, I'm not a perfect person. I'm a bit rock and roll. I have afflictions, addictions, whatever, vices. But I'm still Johnny Depp. That's the message that he's trying to send. And when you have... People like Howard Stern, who's had liability claims and been sued and sued others, for him to go on record, a shock jock radio journalist who has like a talk show, um, it, Howard Stern's an icon, okay? Like he's probably the engineer of all podcasts. A lot of kids now know him as a voice on uh, America's Got Talent. I've loved Howard Stern for years. He had a film called Private Parts, which is like a tongue-in-cheek biography film just an amazing narrative he freed like if you're talking freedom of speech that dude is one of the ambassadors of it i love him love what he stands for until you know he throws johnny depp under the bus it, it feels this insane thing in america right now more american than anywhere else on the planet but it seems like this insane thing to keep highlighting tribal cultures you're on this side or this side of the fence if you're on this side, you're our friend. If you're on this side, we hate you. This Lord of the Flies-like mentality, right? It's only propagated because you all believe it. If I turn around to you and say none of it's true, if I turn around to you and said, if your neighborhood tomorrow was under fire in the same way that Russia's taken apart the Ukraine, for example, if you had a threat, you'd all unite. You'd all unite. The thing is, Right now, you've got too much time in your hands. You're over-processing the psychology of everything, and this is the problem. People are creating divisions. And they see a, a, a young girl who, far younger than the guy that's taken her to court to sue her, which, again, in morality, you're always going to support a girl just by a kind of chivalrous act or this sign of social morality consciousness. You can have another a, a ambition intention, like she's beautiful and, you know, you want to leap to her defense to score points or whatever it is. But to tell you, turn around and say that Johnny Depp's a narcissist and make a claim for that and that is overacting on his testimony. And then, you know, I see obviously the trend of every YouTuber trying to, you know, psychoanalyze everything like we're all qualified to. We're not. And I look at this and I just say, well, Johnny Depp has had a career of non-narcissism, like zero narcissism. You know, a lot of people need to redefine narcissism or look it up as a definition to themselves, as the definition. He's not guilty of that. He's an actor, sure. Sure he is. He knows He knows who he is and what he has to do. He knows the character he has to play to uh, be charismatic. Johnny Depp is not a narcissist. He has no narcissistic tendency, in my opinion, because he's, if anything, the opposite. He's self-deprecating. He, he doesn't understand the value of himself, which is the common traits of an artist. So as much as you can look at it going, oh, he's selling himself, that's your opinion on a celebrity far more successful, essentially, than you are. Far more beloved than you are, you know? Far more internationally known than you are. And this thing in Hollywood happens a lot. 
and it, it just gets on my goat. Yeah, don't choose to stand in sides because this trial is about someone whose career was destroyed by the rumors spread about them. And Amber Heard has spread those rumors. She's basically treated herself like some kind of pious being. Again, I think she's telling her Princess Diana narrative, unfortunately, sadly. Probably watched The Crown and made notes and came up with this idea, you know. I wouldn't put it past her. She seems like a master manipulator throughout the trial. She's been making notes, passing them to her legal team, having a giggle and a laugh at bullet points. She's been listing every single bullet point, and when she recalls in a testimony, it feels like scripted. It feels like someone... You know when you're in an, an acting situation, you write a little note, like a post-it on your cup as a prop. You've got a monologue, basically, you got to deliver. So you'll stick it on your cup, and as you're taking a sip, you'll glance down, see punch notes. It's not the full script. It's just like, you know, short form, so you understand it triggers your memory. This is a technique people do. Um, to me, it felt like she was doing that, and her lawyer was setting her up with the post-it notes, which was insane to watch that. But that's what it came off like. She was placating to the jury, which I think is gross. Her entire defense has been nothing but circumstantial. Every one of her accounts and stories have been over-embellished and insane. And actually, the Johnny Depp psychoanalyst who's basically trying to test for PTSD specialism, stuff like this, Dr. Curry, I believe, her diagnosis of Amber Heard when she said she had a borderline personality disorder, word for word, and you have to play this stuff back as it's that kind of a case, word for word, if you compare what she says and then watch Amber's testimony, she's guilty of everything that's been said. Because here's a girl, to a degree, you want to believe. You want to believe because A, when people out there are victims in, in anything domestic or whatever, and they're just lying about it to um, destroy the guy, the credibility of the legal system is put under pressure. You see, because if you make false accusations, no one's going to take accusations seriously if there's this volume of them that's proven not real, you know? It's also a question of morality of someone who do that. Why would she do that? It's horrific, you know? That's a criminal defamation because she did it all essentially out of total rage and malice. Subconscious or not, if she believes what she's saying or not, none of that matters to me. Because what matters to me is in this situation, the thing she's accusing Johnny Depp of doing has literally no evidence. Literally no evidence. He beat the hell out of her, pummeled her, all this stuff you're reading in the headlines, and you're actually reading this stuff because it's basically just lifted from the trial word by word, and there's no opinion or context. So a lot of people on YouTube are just watching what she's saying or with, with a face value belief connected to it because they're not going through the eight-hour days of all the trial, which is why I did go through the eight-hour days. And uh, this is a lesson to folks in the world right now, um, relationships, girls, guys, especially if you're in the artistic endeavor or anything you do is successful. You can magnetize these kind of people who will target you, they will manipulate and they will control. And to me, the talent, here's the telltale scene, folks, of where I believe 
how manipulation started playing through the trial. If you've seen a trial, this will mean something to you. If you haven't, I apologize, but I'll set the scene as best I can. There's one night where the police are called in because Amber's said to a mutual friend, I believe, to call the cops in part of a scheme. And it's definitely a scheme because you start seeing all the pieces fit together that she's been trying to create a narrative probably to keep him under her control. Kind of like an Epstein thing, you know, like the Jeffrey Epstein thing. If I've got something on you, you're never going to be able to leave. That kind of a mentality. That's what I think she's been trying to do. So she's blatantly, it's not even up to debate. A lot of people are trying to be politically correct about this. She's blatantly set scenes, like crime scenes, like the aftermath of a fight. And it's blatantly a setup because it, there's, it's just so stupid, okay? There's no carnage. It doesn't seem manic. It doesn't seem passionate. It's like a unbroken bottle of wine on the floor or something like this. It just It's just so set up. It's staged. It's so obviously staged. Like she tried to pass off a drug binge, like a cocaine-fueled drug binge, and it's basically four perfectly lined up cocaine lines, uh, allegedly cocaine. You don't know because you're not there a box that Johnny Depp's probably been seen publicly having, the cup of his company, like a product placement endorsement, a glass of this weird kind of apple juice looking liquid and a bottle of a very similar looking liquid. And she's called that a drug binge. And I'm like, dude, if you've ever seen the aftermath of a real life Coke party, it doesn't look pristine. And also I don't know anyone who uses cocaine that would leave it out and (laughs) fall asleep her understanding or um drug understanding is terrible it's like horrific and it it, that's offensive to me one of my childhood friends had a psychotropic effect when he mixed drugs and he he, it changed brain chemistry it screwed him up he had adhd so it was a trigger and it just broke him and to turn around and say half the stuff she's accusing Johnny Depp of and that Johnny Depp's able to sit on testimony and talk like a normal human being, I'm telling you, if anything she said was drug-fueled, he'd be brain-destroyed. It'd reset him to be like a 16-year-old person. Like, if you have any education in what the subject matter is of this case, it's horrendous, and every victim be a a drug abuser user even who's had that kind of psychotropic malfunction and the family's connected to them equally if you've been the victim of abuse domestic violence and equally if you are a genuine domestic violence uh, suffering victim that is female or male with the stigmas attached to either and or you coming forward is the bravest possible thing you could possibly do and it should be celebrated uh, in the sense that you're doing something positive to stop someone else from having to suffer down the line of the same thing, right? You're also dealing with your trauma in a very positive way because you're facing it, which is one of the hardest things you can do uh, being a victim of abuse. Amber Heard, she got none of that. So she's fabricated this entire narrative she's tried to create evidence for it unfortunately for her she's not very smart in the regards to crime scenes and and studying 
Her research skills are very laxed. I would argue she's taken a lot of notes from movies and fiction pieces and books she's read, but definitely has no real-life cross-referencing experience because she plays the part post-traumatic. The fact that they've had specialists claiming that she did this really elaborate examination and multi-question uh, thing, multi-choice, uh, to find if she has PTSD. Let me just explain. Now, I, I'm not discrediting the specialists in the field of psychology, but I've had PTSD for certain events in my life, and it's always triggered by a subconscious trigger, not a suggestive trigger. You can sit there and talk to me as much as you want about any specific volatile thing in my past or this, that, and the other, and I will have a reaction to it like any human being would, but it wouldn't be PTSD. PTSD is the sort of thing that's triggered by uh, the scent of smoke in the air that suddenly closes you up and gives you a full-on panic attack, an anxiety attack. There is, you know, it's like something totally trivial, like a color that you see or a flashing image on TV. That That's your trigger, and it's a subconscious trigger because your, your trauma is is um set into your subconscious which becomes you know you can talk about any of these things but it won't trigger it so it becomes this reflex to something you can't control that's the problem which is why a lot of therapists and stuff have been doing stuff with psychotropic drugs uh, lsd and things like this to try and um soften the impact you know so when you have anxiety you can just go into a different uh, realm with it to different levels of effect and microdosing and things like this. Weed, marijuana, something that's basically a, a calming element has also been proven to be very good in the in a practice of therapy for this kind of stuff. So when I hear an actual psychologist talking to the jury about their accolades, which um, Amber Heard's Dr. Dawn Hughes, I believe, was kind of almost gloating about it, she, to me, did not prove that Amber Heard had post-traumatic syndrome just because, or sorry, disorder, because of the tests. I think tests in psychology are kind of ludicrous, frankly. And to say that you can't lie on them is ludicrous too. If you know anything about science, or if you are scientifically inclined of any level, you always have to have a control within the test itself right? Or, or, or someone lying or stuff. And I know they talked about this in a trial, but it, I, I think the whole thing is ludicrous. I think it's ludicrous getting psychologists involved anyway, because there is no, no, again, it's all circumstantial evidence because they, by definition, will have bias in their opinion. The thing that I thought was clever in the Johnny Depp case, where their expert wasn't necessarily dealing with the overall who did what and who did this and said so and said words to that effect and never ruled it as an absolute in any direction. She remained quite neutral. What she did find was that Amber Heard had borderline personality disorder. And if you watch her testimony, that's the character she's playing. Honestly, frankly, it's there's no debate. The diagnosis was extraordinarily accurate. Everything uh, I remember in Dawn Hughes's testimony was flipped by the plaintiff lawyers, and you could actually see the penny drop moment where 
Dr. Dawn Hughes realized I've made a huge error here because it suddenly dawned on her how un, uh, discredible her statements have been made. Now let me explain. These two people have to leave this trial, which has been watched by the entire planet, and go back as a credible resource to their jobs. Good luck, because a lot of people are going to be judging you for whichever loyalty you've shown to whoever, okay? It's almost like a career suicide move to be involved, which is why I think that Dr. Curry is a more credible of the two. And the diagnosis reigns true in the, in the testimony and the evidence. It's, it's so uncanny, all of this stuff. So yeah, it's been a circus show, the defense. I think if, if any of you are even remotely interested in law, you've been watching this, which is where I like to think, you know, if you're a budding lawyer or um, actually trying to do your bar exam, this is a massively good example of <laughs> just how nuts civil law uh, suit can get. For the rest of us, it's a window in to see the opportunity to see. It's kind of an interactive experience for me personally, just to iron this out. Rather than taking sides, I'm doing it. I'm I'm really going through this, and it is a, it's horrendous on the emotions at times. Some of the, uh, some of the deceit, the deceptions from her side of this, has been hard to stomach. Johnny Depp's testimony itself went on for a wee bit too long, with a wee bit too many details. Um, not in any way that wasn't right, but in a way that makes you feel uncomfortable. And no doubt it was uncomfortable for him. The witnesses have been various uh, types of witnesses. Some just make you smack your head against the wall because they're kind of like not really cooperative, not really offering anything. Some of them are quite entertaining in their own right. The information that some of them have given out has been incredible to give you that insight, perspective of the reality of this situation. The lawyers, both sides of the lawyers have been interesting, to say the least. I think the defense lawyers don't have a case. They probably know that, and they're desperately trying to create one, which kind of matches the idea of narrative creating, which Amber Heard has done. And there is a conspiracy theory to this. And we will see the second half of the trial from the 16th, I'll be watching it again, May the 16th, on a week break. But yeah, like it's a fascinating and ludicrous insight to how crazy this is. And if you're in the real world, because I can't conclude the case, if you ask me who's going to win it, if justice is a real thing, Johnny Depp wins it because he's gone there to sue her for defamation, which she has definitely done. For her to counter sue at the same time to try and do a counterclaim of defamation against her is sort of displays how vindictive she is um, and how she's completely insane because she feels this is a competition. And frankly speaking, her career isn't even comparable to his. It's not even remotely comparable. And it will never be. And so I like to treat this trial on the sense of justice. And if you want justice, who deserves the spot more and who has the most to offer the world, right? Is it Amber Heard who almost has showcased the direction she's going to go in, where she's going to probably do this three or four times again in the future, uh, almost like a serial extortionist maybe? 
that's the way she comes across to me. Or is Johnny Depp going to be able to go back to what he does best and to turn a corner we've never seen before and open up doors for the rest of us, which he's been doing his entire career? I mean, you know, it, it's is male and female gender thing? No. Is it about the case that there's been mutual abuse? Yeah. There's been reactive abuse from Johnny Depp, never initiated, as far as I can see, and the evidence supported in the 96 hours that we've been listening and all the photo evidence and all of the audio evidence. To me, he doesn't look like he's ever initiated a thing with her. Does he have anger management issues? There's possibly a bit of that. There's possibly a bit of that, but it's self-destructive. It's self-destructive. He destroys his own stuff. It's not like he'd come into your house and smash it up if he was angry. I don't think he's that guy. I think he, he takes it out on himself. He's there smashing his own cabinets. He's there smashing his own glasses. He's there smashing his own uh, kitchen to smithereens. And if it's rented like a hotel room, it's still his. You know, The ownership is he's paid for it, maybe. Uh, you could say that he's smashed your house and not his own. But you, you understand what I'm saying. There's a logic to the way he gets violent and it's very self-destructive with amber heard is she capable of setting up a crime scene yes she's proven that she discredits everyone by the way so all the professionals around her that she doesn't seem to understand don't respond to johnny depp so she can't or their defense can't turn around and say they're all yes men or women because some of them work for a third party corporation security guards for example are working for the client security but they're not lying or concealing because their credibility is affected and they have to work beyond the client meaning johnny depp's a client for the security guard for say monday to friday and then suddenly they're shipped off to work for the rolling stones for saturday and sunday where johnny depp is no longer their client and the rolling stones their client and so if they have a reputation for turning a blind eye or this or that or the other as much as it might work in sleazy fields it doesn't work for all their potential clients so it also destroys their credibility and risks them losing their license and they will have to have a license by the way samba heard doesn't go into any details of knowledge like that um her defense team doesn't and actually her defense team have basically said comments that <laughs> I think it's possibly okay in court. There's a sense of security to say this stuff. But to me, I would sue a lot of a defense team for defamatory remarks. I mean, there's been insane cases of badgering, which is crazy. And literally every side of Amber Heard's narrative so far has literally been make-believe, fantasy, mythological, exaggerated beyond any sense of recognition of truth to turn around and say any of her testimony has valid points of truth in it i don't think so i think the whole thing follows a pathological story that she's rehearsed and rehearsed and rehearsed discussed openly with her friends especially as i was getting to earlier there's a footage of the two police guys coming into johnny depp's downtown la apartment the penthouses and they're all grouped up casually having drinks whoever the boyfriend of uh rocky her best friend amber's best friend i forget if it's josh dunn i think it was something like that he has this negative stance on johnny depp when he's answering the door 
as Lord of the Manor, not respecting that everything he's living is down to Johnny Depp and his generosity to turn around and, and manipulate that and turn it into this controlled environment where you can't leave and you can't do anything and you can't uh, have your own life is absurd because she throughout this narrative and the story and the evidence has had her own life and done her own thing. So the Princess Diana thing doesn't work for me because if Amber Heard walked down the street in LA, it isn't even in the same ballpark as if Johnny Depp did, even though she's at the time either married him or his other half, doesn't have the same weight. So there's a bit of delusion in her belief. Uh, we see all of the um, photos. The, the, the thing about the photos, okay, no one mentioned this in any YouTube thing. And this is a bit of inside knowledge, I guess, that they don't have. But the photos where he's meant to split her lip and how gaunt she is and how much weight she lost makes me think that she's been on crack, that she's been sucking crack through a crack pipe and that she's trying to use the effects of how that can screw you up to try and make it seem like an abused uh, victim. And I don't think initially she was going for bruising because that is obscene. I think originally she was going through this narrative where she developed an eating disorder because she's living off the Princess Diana narrative. Now, I'm speculating, but I'm also dealing with this as a, a kind of a detective, essentially. I'm looking at the motive, I'm looking at the evidence, and I'm looking at the, because um, it's all circumstantial, but I'm looking at also the transition of events that have happened since the divorce, since the suit was, uh, since the claims were originally out there, uh, the suit in the UK, the Sun newspaper, and here's the thing, Amber Heard had a relationship with Elon Musk very close to the breakup of Johnny Depp, if not the same week. They weren't even divorced. There is speculation that James Franco went to the apartments. I don't know about that personally because it's not clear, but let's say that's true. She actually saw James Franco before she saw Elon Musk. There's no metadata on the photographs, which means she could have been doing crack with uh, James Franco, which seems very liable and very realistic even. Uh, then taking the photos the next day because they concocted this narrative and because she's on crack that, you know, her brain's not functioning in the same way that it would be at that period of time. And then she's with Elon Musk. And then she placates Elon Musk to pay off some funds into this charity She's doing all of this stuff, which means that her response to being in this traumatizing experience with Johnny Depp and having all this violent assault happen, her response is to be with other people and almost confirm every reason he had to feel jealous or concerned or, uh, you know, untrusting. It sort of confirms all of that. So ultimately... We're looking at evidence here. We're seeing all of the evidence here. We're seeing her behavior. We're seeing her actions. She's now had a baby where she's told the father or child he can't get involved and she wants full custody of it herself. These are not the actions of someone with the claims that she's got, which makes me feel like isn't the best thing society can do is take her away from this celebrity thing and return her to the normal world because isn't the fame and celebrity destroying her? And now that there's a child, 
in the mix, shouldn't we look at it all like, you know, can't we save the child from all of this craziness, you know? So that's the trial discussed. I will pick it up uh, bits and, and pieces down the road. Um, I think if you are listening and you're relatively young and you're in Hollywood and you want a career in Hollywood, I'll break it down like this. If you have a relationship with someone that's appear in your craft actor and you're an actor and you meet on a set, very good example, Robert Pattinson, Kristen Stewart. The reason it's so tough to survive is that when the projects end, even if they're a six year trilogy, you know, or a decade long, when the project ends, the bubble eventually fades into a reality, the reality that you're no longer going to be working in close proximity. So you could, as an actor, go off to Australia, spend six months of the year on a project there, come back to wherever you're from, spend two days with your other half, your spouse, your partner, whatever, and then they go off to say... Uh, Belgium and they've got a six month period and between it's almost like being a flight attendant isn't it you, you have this long separation for a very short amount of time with each other there's also the press tours there's also new cast members and each time you do a movie project the people you work with become kind of like a family like a surrogate family and some cases you can group together and do multiple projects for the rest of your career fine but so the majority it becomes this competitive nature. And this, this is why a lot of acting relationships do not tend to work because the bubbles fade. And usually when it becomes real after that and the kind of dust has settled, you run out of reasons to be with someone. The other situation you could find is that you're the actor and they're not even in that bubble. Like you meet them at a bar or a coffee shop or whatever it may be you know and so this normal person talks to you and you talk to them and they're not interested in being an actor and they're just working say as a, a bar server or a barista at starbucks or something like this and you you have that kind of conversation it, it becomes this safe zone for you because you're you're recognized in your field but they don't necessarily recognize you. You have a relationship only to find that they've been using you as an opportunity the entire time, subconsciously perhaps. And that when you met them, there was someone that worked at Starbucks and, you know, secretly they had this design and they knew exactly who you were when you were walking through the room, you know? And that's been an experience I've had when I was in music in a band. I've had an experience like that, you know, where people you feel you can trust from the real world, so to say, outside of your bubble and knowledge, actually are using you for their own hidden agenda, right? So we hear about these stories all the time. When relationships do work within the industry, it's usually based um, kind of in an accidental structure. I think Robert Downey Jr.'s is very much the, the sort of healthy relationship and it took him ages and a lot of crises to find. But, you know, your other half is, say, a producer or someone in the, in the managerial side of your industry. It, it kind of gives them a grip on your uh, almost like able to manage you because they come from the industry in a very different way. 
where it's not a competition for them. It's a result-based job. And so if you've got all of the insecurities and the paranoias and all these things that make you crazy, they've got the reassurance and the ability to manage you like in micromanagement or even understand what you're going through because they see it all the time and it's almost desensitized to them. So you need someone stable. It doesn't mean that you can't meet someone on a set in the bubble of an actor and an actor and not be together forever. There's many cases of that happening. It's just a case that it's best to know all the variables, uh, variables Sorry, when you get into this, this world. If you're an artist, and the difference between artist and actor or careerist actor and ambition, you hear a lot of this in the Johnny Depp trial when he's saying her ambition outweighs her person, you know, or um, she doesn't see him, she sees her ambition or whatever uh, is inferred. I think that the concern, as much as we can just see here in the civilian world, kind of looking at it going, oh yeah, it just means that she's taking advantage of him. It's, it's a lot more significant than that if you're actually in the industry. So what I'd like to just finish this off, this whole first three weeks in this trial, and hopefully, you know, won't keep going on and on and on about it every week. I will refer to it because it means a lot to me. I think I made that clear. One of the people don't understand, frankly speaking, in a normal world is there are people out there that have said they're the kind of popular kids in school. They're the athlete, the star athlete, and they get so used to, this adoration of their peers that they get involved at some point in the film industry or, or modeling or whatever. And, and that's the superficial side of Hollywood. That's where it's the look that they're after or, or whatever. It doesn't matter about the personality or talent or the ability to actually do the craft. It's just the visual. They want the visual, right? Sometimes you get the talent, you get the ability and you get the uh, love and passion for the craft merging with that look which is kind of like sometimes extraordinarily rare, but it happens. And therefore you get this global destroying talent, you know, iconic talent, George Clooney, uh, Brad Pitt, these kind of cats, Meryl Streep, who has the look, who has the validation, but has the love and passion for the craft, you know? And then you get the actual classic Vincent van Gogh, let's going to chop my ear off talent, okay? The artist the pure artist and an artist forget substance abuse it does happen quite a lot forget that the actual addiction is creativity the actual addiction the affliction is having to create and it being the only way you can terminate your sadness basically life is a different gauge if you're creative because most people in the world there's a difference between creative in business to creative in, in the arts. In the world, most people, you know, nine to five jobs, get back, watch TV. Great, have a cup of coffee, you know, see some kind of reality TV, go to sleep, live it all again. And their big celebration is the vacation they get that year, uh, the holidays or the weekend where they have a partition time away from all the noise, right? But if you're an artist, it doesn't work like that. The gauge is totally different. The gauge is more like this. Everything that is mundane, everything that is formulaic or structured or stable is basically the apocalypse. It's basically the end of days. And so what you actually live for is the off chance that something in the mundane becomes super interesting. 
and has this heightened sense of structure to it. And so in some cases it's a sunset or it's, you know, in the classic Renaissance, it's the sunset or it's a scene or it's a bird on a pond or something like this, this muse relationships, massive in music without relationships. You wouldn't have any songs, essentially the turbulence, all of this infrastructure, to stuff that's it. Now it's a case where you could be watching something and it gives you ideas and you ping stuff off because we're in this multi media age. You could be watching a band, a concert, a live thing. You could be in live concert situation. You could be in anything. And if you're a musician too, you suddenly get this huge muse, this impact, this, this inspiration. You're basically living in the mundane trying to find your muse. And so a lot of life is a struggle. Okay. It's not dissimilar from having chronic depression if you're creative it, it's sort of hand in hand and on the same spectrum it doesn't mean you're suffering because you're choosing to suffer a lot of people get like that because they're not actually an artist and therefore they're like i've got to suffer for my art man wrong wrong analogy you don't starve yourself and suddenly have a heroin addiction because you're an artist no you're an artist first the heroin addiction and the depression is a causality of your artist infliction you know so I like to sort of say that for a true artist, they have to create and they have to create. They have to do something. They have to build something. They have to make something. They have to sing something. They have to perform something. They have to have a validation of seeing other people overjoyed or have a reaction to what they're doing. There is this weird, it's not a narcissism or a kind of show-offy, gene it can be but for most of the part it's basically validation it's validation that this huge emotional thing that you've put out into the world is received in the same way by someone else it's basically why an athlete plays sports because they get the validation it's not just the fact they've beaten a world record or they've got a medal at the end of the night it's because they've seen all of the support that they've created it's a very selfishly and selfish thing it's a really crazy crazy affliction i have it which is why i can speak on it there's no doubt in my mind that johnny depp is that guy you just see his body of work you can see that he is and every artist has a unique sort of implemented code they have their influences you can strip down their lifestyle and you can see their influences running within that kind of structure but also they have so much uniqueness that you can almost, they're inseparable. They don't go into this field of the same sort of thing. They stand out as their own thing. And that's what an artist should always be. And I'm saying this to anyone out there who has a creative voice in their head, who wakes up in the middle of the night with these crazy ideas, be it a narrative, a scene in a film that hasn't been made, an idea for a book that hasn't been written, a picture in your head, um, whatever it is, even video games now, you can, you know, it just means that you have this creative need. You're an architect of something creative. And if there is a renaissance period, if we're currently in it, if we've been in it for a while, and history in the future, um, 100, 200, 300, 400 years, and now even 1,000 years, was to reflect back in this period of time 
ask yourself this. Does it remember Amber Heard or Johnny Depp as the Beethoven or the Mozart, you know? And I think that's all you need to know in this defamation case. Is she guilty of it? Of course she is. Has he defamed her because of this? No, 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 no. He's protected himself because if all else goes to hell, he's communicated to the fans that he has and the supporters of his. And if Amber Heard finds that she's got no one after this except for a ton of money in a bank account, then she obviously was not defamed. It's just that she doesn't have any supporters. Reality. So thanks for listening to my analysis of my last three weeks ripping this part uh living this trial uh like anyone who's there the only difference is i'm not paid to do it i'm doing this out of almost love and respect for the people involved i suppose and just to wrap this up i feel sorry for amber Heard in a very sincere way because if she does actually have an emotional issue or a borderline personality disorder if she's suffering from something that she's just acting out in her behavior she definitely should not be in hollywood doing a career like she's doing because it will only end badly for her fact she should have help better help than she's got not peer group that are egging her on and, and live in her delusions with her and definitely not psychiatrists that will deny on face value because they believe in her stories that to me discredits your ability as a psychologist or a psychotherapist or a psychiatrist or there's so many of them you need to be a friend to her she needs good people in her world real people in her world that can rebuild her sense of self-belief and confidence because there's always a good person in between layer upon layer upon layer upon layer of fantasy and deception and she was extraordinarily young when this story started so johnny depp is guilty of that he's guilty of making a young woman's already complicated life far more complicated but there's no malice in that that's the point it could be considered greedy if you will it could be considered irresponsible but it's not destructive and and malicious i feel that she is destructive and malicious and for all of us in the world if we see someone anyone that's similar to amber heard let's not judge them on their actions and call them evil let's try and say we got to be responsible and help them make them see better things than they think they're seeing make them want something more humble and real than what their current ambitions are so we have to do better as a society we also have to see celebrities less as celebrities we have to differentiate this is an artist we celebrate this artist john lennon celebrated artist never let the celebrity thing get to him paul mccartney same thing the beatles incredibly grounded possibly because their roots here in the uk uh, saw everything with tongue in cheek lived it as an experience they've had voices but they're not screwed up Okay, so it's a mental strengthening. And we have to separate from this idea of celebrity, which literally is ludicrous construct. And we have to start splitting it down to actual talent. And then in the talent, what is an actual artist within that talent? Because let me tell you this, folks. If there's nothing you've taken away from this podcast today, uh, this epic, insane podcast, 
if, if there's anything to take away from it, it's this, okay? If you know artists, like truly creative people, we all do, they literally obsess. There's a sense of manic disorder to it. You know, like I have to have my guitar near me. I have to have this near me. I, I'm writing this stuff. I'm getting really frustrated. My entire life is ruined until I get this thing done. We're all judging them like they're kind of this needy, insane thing. But it's actually a spectrum, much like autism and things like this. And if you're fully in that spectrum and 100% that creative person, most of the time is a living hell. So you need a lot of validation and a lot of support. And we should view it in the same scale and spectrum as autism. And then as a society, we should learn how to deal and treat that in the most humane way we can. And we should also understand that controversy is going to happen. Okay, because muses are an incredible thing and the art actually ultimately is worth more than the judgment do you not think do you not think that we're all looking at a world without johnny depp in it or amber heard essentially do you not think that we therefore lose a lot of their potential what the future could look like and isn't this something we should really be discussing rather than psychoanalyzing everything to the point where there is no humans anymore. There's just legends and myths. The fact they're not doing another Pirates of the Caribbean with Jack Sparrow kills me. I feel like that's a massive loss. I would have loved to see that film and we're never going to see it. And that's what we have to be very responsible doing in our world. Because this cancel culture and all this stuff, it's very short-term gains. It has no long vision whatsoever. There's no long-term plan for this stuff. I don't want to waffle to everyone in the world about the sense of fascism about it. I've brought that up in the past. But I will say this. Every avenue in this world is free to explore. And if people shut down avenues, ultimately they switch the lights off for everyone. Hopefully, therefore, you've learned something. There's been a moral to something. I've got to bring all the energy back up. I've given you a lot of information about my own personal feelings and stuff like that, which I don't usually do. I've been out of character for a while in this podcast. So you've got a bit of an insight to the truth of Rebels then. Yes. I'll be back as much as I can week by week. It might be fortnightly. Uh, but, you know, only thing I can say is stay safe. Take care. And life is normal until the 16th of May. And then, yep, straight back into the courtrooms for me until the end of this thing. I won't bore you. But there might be a conclusion. I think I've said my piece. I think I might not bring it up again. It just depends on how the trial goes. But we'll be back next time. And I won't be talking about this. Uh, I'll have fun things to talk about, like uh, how the squirrels and I have know uh taking over the world stuff like that because this all happens without a producer she's not here to keep me uh filtered so anyway there we go so yes we'll be back take care everyone bye bye <laughs>